0: The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. I will rejoice, you are here in the midst of the battle. Lift up my voice, you deliver me from my distress. I will proclaim you are sovereign Lord over all things. Praise your great name. In the midst of the storm, you are ready. God who say I trust in you even when my prayers seem unanswered I am not moved for I hope in the plans you have made I shall not fear for you walk in the valley beside me You draw me near, and I am healed by the touch of your grace. of the bad lift up my voice you deliver me from my distress and I will proclaim you are sovereign Lord over all things praise your great name in the midst of the storm you are rest in the midst of the storm you are
1: Established in love. It was the time of the passion of Jesus. The week prior to the crucifixion, Jesus spent every night on the Mount of Olives. He didn't go to the local Motel 6. He went to the mountain. And there he prayed. He waited before the Father... Because he knew there was no way he could walk through the crucifixion without the fullness of the Father's love. He knew he had to be absolutely established in the Father's love, or he could not walk out what was before him. So he went to the mountain. In the morning, at daybreak, he made his way down to the temple. Already preparations were in place for the offering of the morning sacrifice. The Jewish rituals were being carried out. The music was flowing. And Jesus, walking out into the courtyard, a large open space, began to look at the people. And they, seeing him, began to run and come because they wanted to hear what this Jesus had to say. There was such an attraction in their heart. There was something they couldn't resist. Even though they didn't believe in him, there was some part of their heart that was drawn, perhaps even just to be curious about what miracles he would perform that day. But they wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. So the crowds came. And Jesus began to teach them, as Jesus was teaching them, there was an interruption over on one side of the crowd. The Pharisees, the scribes, the attorneys were pushing in front of them a woman, shoving her. She was resistant, so they'd shove her again. It was obvious she was just out of bed embarrassed, shame written all over her face, tear on her heart. She didn't know what was going to happen, whether she would be stoned to death, set up for ridicule. They came pushing her, shoving her. They didn't even want to touch her. She was unclean. They had just rousted her out of a bed of adultery. And now what was secret was public. They came to make Jesus the judge, not knowing that his time of judgment had not yet come. Oh, a day will come when Jesus will pass judgment, but this day was not the day of judgment. I want to tell you, today is not the day of judgment. You have been given this day for the purpose of experiencing Jesus Christ in all of his love with the Father now expressed toward you and me. But don't take that love as a, as a sign that he will never bring you the judgment. For each of us will stand before the judgment bar of God. But praise God, today is not the day of judgment. The door of mercy is still open for your soul. And he says, today is the day of salvation. If it were judgment day, there would be no room for salvation. There would simply be a passing of judgment on our actions. And either we are under the blood, forgiven, cleansed, sanctified, made clean by the blood. Or we're condemned and cast out and cut off and forever placed in hell. Oh, I praise God, today is not the day of judgment. I praise God that we can gather in this house one more time to consider our soul's salvation. But this woman did not know if that was her day of judgment. As she came being drugged and pushed and shoved, thrown in front of Jesus, John, the eighth chapter, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, we're commanded to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Now, if Jesus said stone her, they would accuse him before the Roman authorities as usurping the authority of Rome. And then it would be treason reason for crucifixion. If he said, let her go, don't bother with her, then he would be proven to be a false prophet who did not uphold the law of Moses and he would be utterly discredited. Jesus did not answer them. Instead, there in the courtyard where there was dust and dirt on the ground, he bent down and he began to write in the dirt. Oh, I've always wondered what he was writing. But I want to make some suggestions. I want to suggest that he was writing the names of the women that these self-righteous men had committed adultery with. They who came with their pride and arrogance, shoving this dear woman ahead of them, demanding that she be judged now. Oh, Jesus had the answer. Just start writing in the sand, their sin. They kept on questioning him, pushing him to answer. Verse 7, he straightened up and he said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stoops down and he begins to write. And I think at that point they decide they'd best see what he's writing. And perhaps they saw her name there. Or they saw someone else that they had just cheated out of money. Perhaps a widow's house that they had repossessed and devoured. Their sins were being laid out before them. And suddenly they felt naked before the judgment bar of God. The day is coming if we go before the judgment bar of God without being covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, we will know our nakedness. For there will be nothing to rescue us from his hand. The day of mercy will be past, And because today there is no sound of the final trumpet, the skies are not rent, don't deceive yourself that that will always be the case. The Lord God of heaven has been examining my life. Like Job, I have said to him, would you please take your eyes off of me for a moment that I could have but some minutes of peace without the searching of my soul by the Holy Ghost. But he has not heeded my cry. Instead, the searching has become even more intense. Those who heard him Say, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone. They, seeing their sins written in sand, begin to leave quietly, gathering their robes about them. Like a thief in the night, they disappear. Finally, Jesus is left with just the woman and the crowd. Jesus straightens up from his writing assignment and he says, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Now, this woman's countenance has gone from absolute terror, certain that she's going to face the judgment, to one of brilliance, as she suddenly discovers that she's been given another day of grace. Oh, I wish I could see on all of your faces that glorious understanding that you have been given today, another day of grace. That today you're not going to face judgment at the bar of God, that he's had great mercy on your soul and he has extended his love to you. And he said, I will give you today to once more consider your place before the throne of almighty God that should cause such a smile to split our face apart that everyone should be saying, why are you so happy? Oh, I'm so happy I'm not going to judgment today. This is reality. Has no one condemned you, National Prayer Chapel? Oh, we know we've sinned. Which of us in this house could cast the first stone? I couldn't. Jesus could have cast the first stone, but it was not his day of judgment. It was his day of mercy. Jesus could cast the first stone at me or you easily, but it's not his day to cast stones. It's his day of judgment at the end of time. Now is his day of mercy. And neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now. And leave your life of sin. Now the modern church would say. Go now have a good time you're covered. But that's not what the word of God says. The word of God says go now and leave your life of sin. Because the day of judgment is coming. When God does his strange work. And judgment is strange for God. He is a God of love. The the book of John tells us that, that God is love. But a part of love is judgment. But it's a strange part. You know, I've been reading this passage of scripture and seeking the Lord concerning its understanding and he spoke something to me that I want to share with you that, that I would not normally find exegeting the scripture. Somehow, in our hearts, we have come to the conclusion that God wants to take away from us what is the most beautiful. That God wants to take away from us what we would enjoy the most. To put it frankly, we've come to the conclusion in America that God is a spoil sport. Today the Puritans are scorned in American culture. But every blessing that you see spread forth before the nation of America yeah. came to us out of the purity and the honesty and the integrity of the Puritan religion. They were the ones that gave us the basis upon which democracy was founded. There would have been no democracy without the Puritan people. But somehow Satan has lied to us and we've come to the conclusion that God is a spoil sport. So we don't want Jesus to come now because we have some more living to do. We don't want Jesus to come now because we want our kids to have some time to enjoy the world. We don't want Jesus to come now because we want to have children or we want to get married or we want to do something else or we want to achieve something because God is going to ruin our fun. Oh, do you escape all of that? Let's cut it even sharper. I don't want to control my intake of food. I don't want to control my gluttony because that will destroy my fun. All God wants to do is take away from me my Twinkies, my soda pop. All God wants to do, he's always after something that I like. I wish God could just like what I like. But let's look at this for just a moment. The Lord says to this woman, Leave your life of sin. What is he telling her to leave? Leave your shame. Leave your brokenness. Leave being a used woman. Leave being a woman who is looked upon with disdain and contempt. Why is all of that a bad thing? I want to make a very bold statement to you today. God has never asked me to leave anything in my life that was good for me. He never took anything from me that would bring joy to my heart. Everything he's taken from me would poison my system and bring death upon me. When he told me to turn the TV off, I thought I was much persecuted. I wondered how I was going to survive. I sat in the living room looking at the dead television for some months, feeling like I was much put upon by God and wondering when he would release me to once more enjoy my redskins. I thought surely God was being very mean to me. I would sit there and pant in my heart for my drug. You understand, I was a drug addict to television. I knew every show. I knew what was going on. I mean, isn't it important to know what's going on? Well, what did Jesus do when he took that despicable poison, that wicked, wicked influence out of my heart? You know what he did for me? He gave me the joy of his word. He gave me peace in my soul. I can now go into my living room where there is no television, and I can sit down with my sweetheart and we can actually have conversations one with another. <laughs> can you imagine a husband and wife sitting down and actually talking enjoyably with one another?
2: Hallelujah.
1: I mean, what a what an awesome gift. You know what? My wife is not my roommate she's my lover I don't have a wicked television that I'm addicted to that I'm pushing my wife away saying shh gotta watch this you know what the rule used to be in my house when the game came on (laughs) if you talk you're out of (laughs) here I would invite people over for the Super Bowl party and I would say you're welcome to come on one condition. You can talk as much as you want during the commercials, but when that game's on, there's no talking or you're out. You agree? <laughs> hey, what did I lose when I lost all that nonsense? I didn't lose anything. I gained a wife. Yeah. I gained friends. I gained a family. I didn't lose anything. Now, obviously, you can't be happy in America if you can't go into debt to buy what you want. And the Lord said to me, don't ask anybody for money ever again. Don't ever write a fund a fundraising letter. Don't ever ask anybody for any personal need. In fact, Ray, don't even tell people when you have a personal need. You come to me. You you receive from my hand what I want to give you. And he said, and by the way, don't ever go in debt again. For any reason, do not go in debt. Okay, Lord, I agree. Well, what did I lose by not going in debt? Well, I have to tell you, I lost some new cars. I lost a house. I lost some other things that would have been fun to do. But what did I gain? I gained no pressure. I gained a clear conscience. I don't have that nut to crack that I carry around in my pocket anymore. I don't have to have two or three jobs. I have only one job. And that job is being in the presence of Jesus and communing with him and fellowship with him and doing exactly what he tells me to do. I don't have Pharaoh over here saying, wait a minute, you're my slave. You can't do that because you owe me. He who has the gold has the rule. You ever hear that? Everybody thinks they own their home. So the the bank owns your home if you owe on it. Everybody says, Oh, that's my car. No, it's not your car. It's the bank's car. Oh. Try not paying your bill and see if they repo it. What did I lose? I didn't lose anything. Everything was a gain for me. So with food, he tells me, Ray, I want you to, I want you to st- stop eating all of those Dunkin' Donuts. I want you to lay the ice cream down. I want you to lay the sugar down. Wow. Talk about oppressing me. I mean, can I imagine life without dunking donuts? Can I imagine life without ice cream? I mean, how am I going to make it? Can I imagine life without colds? Without sickness? Without being drug out? And hung over on sugar. Wow, I didn't lose anything. I gained. And now you know what? Take a pineapple, a fresh pineapple, quarter it, do a marinade sauce on it, pop that thing into the, into the grill, let that baby cook for about 15 minutes. Pull it out. Now I'm telling you, that's sweet. The Lord has opened up a whole new door of sweetness for me in my life. I've discovered that you can't beat God's program for how you eat. What was the diet we were given originally? Fruits? Vegetables? Grains, seeds, nuts, and then he added, after the flood, a little meat. He didn't say we had to eat that, by the way. Corn and beans together make a perfect protein. Did you know much of your protein comes right out of the air as you're breathing the air, the nitrogen in the air, brings protein into your system. Did you know you don't even need to eat all the protein? But we've said, we've got to have protein. We've got to have protein or we're going to die. No, you're going to die if you eat too much. I mean, what do we lose by following what God has given us in his word? We don't lose, we gain. So this sin that so easily entangles us that we get caught up in and then we get an attitude and we say, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you disciplining me so hard? See, I'm not disciplining. You. I'm trying to give you a gift here. I'm trying to give you a gift. I'm trying to open you a way of living that's wonderful, that's filled with life and energy and passion with a grateful heart where you walk through your day and you're praising my name. But you see, when we come to the scriptures and we have this attitude that says, you better guard your bull like a dog guards his food because God's gonna try to reach out and snatch something good away from you. It always puzzled me why Arnie, the Rottweiler that we lived with, I was his master, I fed him, I put the food in his bowl why would he growl at me when I reach down to put more food in his bowl? Well, you say, because he's a Rottweiler. (laughs) Well, why do we growl at God when he reaches down to put something in our bowl? Because we're Rottweilers. God's not trying to take something away from us, he's trying to give us something that will be to our joy, that will be to our life, that will, that will bring to us an explosive new understanding of who he is and how to live and how to walk. The way of God is not sickness and death and darkness. It's light. It's joy. It's peace. It's long-suffering. Let me show you a couple of other passages of scripture that deal with this issue. I want you to look with me at John, the third chapter. And if I ask any of you here, you could probably tell me what John 3.16 says. You've probably said it many times. But you know what? There's a scripture in John 3 more important than 16. And that's John 17. 3.17 and 3.18. Can anybody repeat that for me? Let me read it for you. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God did not send his son into the world to condemn you, but to save you. So this whole notion that God is there to Slip his hand in and steal from you is a lie from the devil. It is not from the heart of God. Look at verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So now let's get right down to it. We think God is trying to take something away from us because we love evil. And we've got to begin asking God to teach us how to love what he loves and to hate what he hates. That's a change of heart. It's a change of taste. If your son or daughter is growing up and you see them eating something that is poison, and they love it. Will you allow them to continue eating it? Right now, very popular among young people is this wickedness of, of choking themselves so that they pass out. One parent saw on the son's neck, a very responsible son, a bruise mark and they asked, what's that bruise mark on your neck? Oh, nothing. Shortly afterward, they found this son with a Venetian blind cord around the neck, dead. It was ruled suicide, but in fact, the child had not planned on committing suicide. They were in love with the endorphin charge that came into their body when they did a strangling action and reduce the oxygen in their body. Well, what would you say to a, to a child of yours who was engaged in this kind of activity? Would you say, you know, that's really a lot of fun, and I understand that, but just be careful what you're doing with it. You have to learn how to handle your strangling. Is that what you would say? Or would you say, this has to stop now, Let's go another direction. There's another way for you to get joy out of living. Well, some of us are very happy with our strangling processes. And then when God comes and says, if you do that, you're going to kill yourself, we cough an attitude and say, oh God, how can you be so mean? No. God is not trying to take something from us. He's not trying to condemn us. He's trying to lift us into his presence. Now listen, what he wants to do according to the book of Ephesians, and it's very clear, in Ephesians, the second chapter, I'm going to read several verses here, beginning in verse 2. Watch, this is God's heart for you. And this is God's heart for the National Prayer Chapel. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Hey, that's pretty clear, isn't it? in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Not a one of us in this room was not following our sinful nature and our cravings. Some of you are still following the cravings you're still following the sinful nature and you've been quite proud about it. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. All God is trying to do is raise us up so that we can sit with Christ in the heavenly realm. He's spoken of it here in the past tense as though it's already done because that's his intention. That's where he wants to take us. Jesus did not come to kill and steal and destroy. That's what the devil comes to do. But the devil says Jesus came to do that. But Jesus said the devil's a liar. Said he's the father of lies. Says all he knows how to do is lie. But Jesus does not lie. And his purpose is to raise us up, to deliver us from every bondage, from every drunkenness with the world, to deliver us and to raise us up that we are seated with Christ in heavenly realms. That's his purpose. Then look, Ephesians, the third chapter. I'll begin with verse 10. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. His intent was that now through the church. How is it through the church? Because he wants a people totally set free, delivered, rejoicing, honoring his name walking in obedience he wants the world to look at the church and not see a marketing organization he wants the world to look at the church and not see a reflection of themselves he wants the world to look at the church and see a people who are walking in the light who have no hiddenness in them who are transparent And who have been raised up and who are seated with Christ in victory. How often would you go and sit down at the restaurant? If they fed you cockroaches? You know, how often would you, how often would you go boating? If you had to leave your boat in the garage. I mean, would you climb up in the boat and sit in the garage in your boat? And say, I'm having a fabulous time. Let's have a picnic lunch in the boat in the garage. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine Brother Tisdale casting his line out in the yard from his boat in the garage, (laughs) hoping that he's going to catch the big one today? And his precious wife says, Honey, whatever you catch is what we eat. (laughs) He's likely to catch a dog. Or a cat. Would you drive if you got in your car and it always stayed in the parking lot and the motor never started? Is it any wonder the world looks at the church and says all you do is go and sit and there's no power and there's no victory and nothing happens in that place? I mean, that's like sitting in your garage and casting for fish in your backyard. No, Christ's intention for the church is to give us victory and to raise us up and to seat us with him in heavenly realms. So when he comes to us and he says, hey, I want you to let go of that food. I want you to let go of that television. I want you to let go of that gambling. I want you to let go of that lust. I want you to let go of that pornography. He's not trying to steal something good out of our food bowl. Don't growl at him. <laughs> He's trying to wean us off the poison and get us set for glory. Verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. Look up that word power. It is what I thought it was, dunamis, dynamite. But it's more than just dynamite. It's explosive, miracle-working power explosive, miracle-working power. So he's saying, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with miracle-working power through his spirit in your inner being. There should be miracle-working power flowing out of our bellies, every one of us in this house. Victory over sin, victory in our relationships one with another, Victory over food. There should be no defeat in the house of God. Defeat is not acceptable in this house. That's why I keep saying, oh God, make it unsafe for sin to be in this house. Cause conviction to come. Cause deliverance to come. Cause freedom to come. Cause us to walk in joy before you, Jesus. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I wish he hadn't said that. You ever read the scripture and then you you say, wait a minute, I wish Jesus didn't say that. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by experience. Now I'm getting excited. That Christ may dwell in your hearts with signs and wonders. Now I'm getting excited. But he's saying Christ dwells in your heart by faith. By faith. Faith is something you don't see, but faith is something you know what's coming down the pipe. You have faith it's coming. You know it's coming because God said it was coming. So today in this house, oh, we don't have all the experience yet. We don't have the signs and wonders. We don't have the breaking out of the Holy Spirit yet, but we have the faith to have Christ dwell in our hearts. And to know that he's not trying to steal from us, that he's inviting us out into the light and out into the glorious presence of the Holy Ghost. And I believe that's coming quickly upon us. I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Oh, that word love. That word love literally means feast of charity. Feast of charity. I pray that you being rooted and established in a feast of charity. In other words, you're not starving. There's a feast spread out before you. This goes very well with Psalm 23. Where the Lord said, I'm going to prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies." He said, your cup is going to run over. You know, there's only one time my cup runs over. That's because it's too full. Have you ever had your cup run over because it wasn't full? Now, that's why a cup runs over. It's too full. And the Lord says, I'm going to come. I'm going to prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. And I'm going to pour so much love into that cup that it's going to overflow. And when it overflows, it's going to spill on your husband. It's going to spill on your wife. It's going to spill on your family. And now instead of judgments, one against another, it's love overflowing. Now instead of bitterness, it's love overflowing. Now instead of criticism and knives and spears, it's love overflowing. Now instead of angry words and hostile thoughts, it's love overflowing. That's what God wants to do among us. Some of you are so angry, you're at a white boiling level because somebody hasn't measured up to your expectations. And you want to get them straightened out. You know, my dad used to have a saying, you probably heard it too catch more bees with honey than with vinegar. You know, my dad used to have a saying, you probably heard it too catch more bees with honey than with vinegar. Somehow we think we got to pour out the vinegar. The Lord's way is not to pour out vinegar, the Lord's way is to pour out love compassion. This woman, ashamed, caught in the very act of adultery. What's Jesus say to her? Ah, lady, I condemn you. No. He says, go now and leave your life of sin. I don't condemn you. Oh, I can't say this clearly enough today. Oh, I pray you'll catch this in your spirit. Jesus is not condemning you today. Have you made mistakes this week? Have you sinned this week Yes. Are you condemned? No, because it's not the time for judgment yet. The time is coming when judgment will come. But this is not the time of judgment. This is the time of mercy. Let the mercy overflow in our homes, in our houses, at the job. Let the mercy flow from our hearts because the mercy of God is flowing into our cups and it's spilling all over. God never minds making a mess with love. Just let it flow. Let it flow. Verse 18. You may have power together with all the saints. The word power there is not dunamis. It's rather the ability to comprehend. The ability to comprehend that you may be able to comprehend. In other words, Paul's praying for their understanding. He's praying that the that the veil of darkness will be ripped off our eyes so that we can begin to comprehend how much God loves us and what he's done for us in order to lift us up and seat us at his right hand to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. See, I don't think there's any love bigger than what I can understand. I mean, if I don't understand it, I'm suspicious. You know, what's your ulterior motive? What are you trying to get here? Now, why would you give that to me? I don't deserve that. What are you trying to pull here? I can handle my own deal. Don't be coming with your compassion if I can't understand what you're up to. Oh, I want to tell you, you're never going to understand the love of Jesus Christ. It's beyond our understanding. It's not permissive. It's not to allow us to continue walking in sin. It's not cheap grace, it's not oily grace, it's not greasy grace, it's clean, it's pure. Because he knows that the day of judgment is coming, and all he has to draw your heart is his love. He can't make us behave, he can't make us obey. If he did, then we'd just be an automated, empty shell character of him. No, he needs that springing up in our heart, that eager willingness to come out into the light. He needs that full human ability to receive him, that he's put in our heart, that we would love him and adore him, even as he has loved us and adored us. I mean, what would you think if I spoke to my wife, Jan, and I said, listen, Jan, from now on, woman, you love me. And you do what I tell you to do, or I'm going to divorce you. I can tell you right now, we're walking out the door for the divorce court. She wouldn't take that. None of us will take that. So Jesus comes, sometimes on cat's paws. And sometimes on elephant feet. (laughs) To say, I love you. I love you. Will you let me lift you up and seat you beside me in heavenly places? Will you let me accomplish in your life what I desire to accomplish? Will you leave your life of sin and don't feel like I'm trying to steal from you? Would you understand? I'm not stealing from you. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to lift you up beside me because I miss you. Oh, God misses the sons of Adam. He misses the sons of Adam. We were made in his image. We're being prepared to be his bride. I dare say God is sick with love for his He's lovesick for his people. And I ask you, have you been rebelling against the love of God? Have you been rebelling against the mercy of God? Have you been accusing him of trying to steal from you? All he's been doing is trying to love you. But it doesn't look like our kind of love. Our kind of love is wicked. To know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. Do you want to be filled with the fullness of the devil? Or do you want to be filled with the fullness of God? That's the issue. If you want to be filled with your own fullness, that's the fullness of the devil. And the devil will come and lie and cheat and say, come on, come my way. Stay in the darkness. Don't expose yourself to the light. Don't let people see what you're doing. Don't be transparent. Get the best of every deal. Everybody's out to cheat you. Win at all costs. So Jesus comes and he says, come on out in the light. Let everybody see why you're doing what you're doing. Come on up and sit with me in eternal life. Come sit beside me in in eternal life. Come and dwell with me. I love you. I want you to be established in my love so that I can put myself fully into you. No more pride, no more arrogance, no more trying to... Put down another brother or sister. No more trying to be the best. No more com- competition one with another. Just a humble spirit of love and adoration toward our master and toward our brothers and sisters. What a difference. I tell you, as this woman walked away from Jesus, in her heart was the certainty that she was going to walk away and be clean before She was given a new life, and her old lover seemed cheap and tawdry in her eyes. She had a new lover. His name was Jesus. And he was the lover of her soul. Almighty God, you are the lover of my soul. For I am that woman who deserved to be stoned. I am that woman who was filled with shame and remorse, who could not even lift up my eyes because of my wickedness. But oh, by your grace, you called me out of the darkness into your light. I praise your name. I glorify your name. I magnify your name. For you are awesome. Your grace is from everlasting to everlasting. Let the praise of your people ascend on high. Thank you, my Lord. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We
2: love you.